from playing 18 to a full 60. Early leads to buzzer beaters. It all starts by getting on the board. Welcome inside episode 57 of On the Board. I'm Colby McKee out there in the stratosphere. Lance Dahl is with us. Hi, Colby. Hi, Corey. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, also, Lance just mentioned him. Corey Bacoskis is here as well. Hi, Colby. Hi, Lance. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome aboard. Glad everyone could tune in and uh, join us tonight. Busy sports weekend. Can't really say that usually in the month of November. But uh, as always, sports never seems to fail. That's a good word. That's a great word. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The Masters happened over the weekend. A November tournament unlike any other. And boy, did it live up to expectation. Uh, Dustin Johnson, your winner at minus 20, a tournament record. 84th edition of the Masters. And boy, I'll tell you what. The Saturday run that DJ had was so fun to watch. It was basically over after the front nine on Saturday. But uh, create some great theater down the stretch. Uh, we'll get to Tiger. We'll get to Rory as well. But uh, the dominance of Dustin Johnson breaking the schneid of the 0 for 4 uh, leader after three rounds of golf. He finally got his Masters. And boy, was it a good one to win. Yeah, uh, kind of reminds everyone why Dustin Johnson is world number one. Um, there was a lot of hype about a lot of different players heading into the Masters this year. And for once, I think in very distant memory, like it's, it's been a while since I can remember a time where Dustin Johnson wasn't one of the top conversations at a, at a major tournament. This year, there was no talk around DJ uh, leading up to the Masters. And it, what there was was very little. Um, and so he just kind of went out and quietly shot one of the best scores uh, in any major, let alone uh, the absolute tournament record for the Masters at Augusta National. It was uh, one hell of a, of a performance from top to bottom for DJ. Yeah, as not much of a golf fan, DJ, he's obviously one of those guys that you hear about, um, just kind of the top of his game, and obviously he has a, an amazing wife in, uh, in the Gretzky over there, and uh, so I was uh, glad that he finally got his Masters, like, I don't know, I didn't know who's won Masters or not, so it surprised me that he hadn't had one yet, but uh, yeah, dash 20 on that one, he uh, looked really good out there this weekend. One of the favorites uh, coming into the weekend was Bryson DeChambeau, uh, the guy with the big stick, bringing his 48-inch driver to Augusta, uh, talking about how he's going to drive over 13 and potentially get some eagles along the way. And not quite the weekend he expected. He actually got beat by uh, Bernard Longer, the 63-year-old, who set his own record by being the oldest player to make the cut at the Masters. Uh, Bernard beat him by one stroke. Bryson was dealing with some dizziness, and he wasn't feeling at his best. Uh, but those who put money down on Bryson definitely didn't uh, walk away very happy with his performance, unfortunately. No, it was uh, obviously a dud for DeChambeau. Um, there's really there's really no other way to put it. A lot of the hype was, was self-inflicted and self-created, so the disappointment also is self-inflicted and self-created, but uh, Bryson just never, never got it going. And he, he just didn't look comfortable, especially to start the first round uh, back on Thursday. He looked a little hesitant, just uneasy, just wasn't looking like himself. And uh, he played himself into a hole early and he never really got himself out of it. Uh, but Bernhard Longer is an absolute weapon and I love him. He is the best. <laughs> like, 
there's like he, he just struts around, does his thing, fucking goes up, hits the ball onto the next shot. Uh, Bernhard Lager's a badass, and so there's no shame in losing to him. But uh, but it is like quite the feat by him to be the oldest guy to make the cut at the Masters because the Masters obviously uh, a notoriously tough tournament. Yeah, how old is he? Like how how old are we talking here? Sixty three, I believe. Damn, that's a good run. Um, yeah. This Bryson guy sounds like friggin' Happy Gilmore though. Didn't didn't go to his happy place, I guess, for the on the final day. <laughs> huh. No, no. How like is he? Is he like known for his 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 long drives or what? Yeah, he's uh, he's been absolutely crushing courses with his distance, hitting them pretty regularly, at least in the 320, 330 range. Uh, and the way that Augusta is laid out, I mean, a lot of talk went into the weekend about the long hitters being able to uh, really do some damage on the course, uh, cutting their, their strokes by quite a plenty over guys like Bernard Longer, who only hit it about 250. Uh, really st- shave some distance off their second shot and their approach shots, but uh, like Lance said, it's just the uh, from the from the get go Thursday just was not up to par uh, alongside many of the top golfers. Actually, on Thursday, didn't play very well. Conditions may have played a part in that as well, uh, but for some, we'll get to in a minute, like Rory, uh, who clawed his way back and played really well the last fifty four holes. But for Bryson, just not the case. No, and uh, the the big talk was that the guys who hit the ball long were going to be able to uh, potentially score well at Augusta. And, I mean, DJ's right up with uh, the best of them at distance off the tee. And, uh, I mean, it shows what, uh, what what guys with length can do at at Augusta National. And it makes you wonder if things are going to change even more so. And over the past few years, they keep lengthening the course and lengthening it out. It's almost getting to the point for, for some players where – or I guess for some, it's it's almost non-competitive because if you are the Bernhard Longer of the world, obviously younger people are going to have a better shot to drive it further. But even if your drives are 280, 290, and DJ is consistently uh, pounding it over 300, Bryson's another one, Cameron Champ's another guy that uh, can easily drive the ball over 300. Uh, it, it makes it difficult to play in tournaments like that where your approach shots are so key. Uh, which we kind of saw on Thursday. The the rain was setting in. The course was actually a little bit easier on Thursday than people expected. But uh, but you, you just noticed being able to get that length and your second shots were, were just so much better. So why would they go to that? Like, I guess, you know, what would be the reasoning to lengthening the course and not kind of sticking to old, old habits? Well, the biggest thing was, I mean, Tiger kind of did this for years. Tiger, when he first came on, was a guy that could – drive the ball further than anyone had ever seen. And just his club head speed, his ball speed, everything was out of this world. And it almost became a bit of an effect with Tiger that he was outplaying the course to the point that something needed to be done. And now you're seeing it just with a bigger group of people more regularly in the PGA Tour that can just outplay the course significantly. I mean, Augusta is supposed to be one of the toughest courses in, in golf. So you're going to pair up any any golfer to any course. Anyone on Augusta is going to be one of the toughest challenges. And uh, a lot of these guys are now making it seem a lot easier to, to to play really well there, which is, I mean, great for TV every now and then. Sometimes people like to watch, you know, the everyone that's at, like the, the leader is too over or whatever. Like some people like to watch that because it makes them look human. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> golf's really, you know, you're, you're playing against the course 
and you're playing against other players. And when you're playing against the course so much higher and other players maybe aren't, you, you got to try and find ways to, uh, to maybe just balance it a little bit. Ah, interesting. Well, you mentioned Tiger Woods there. Eh? What about that uh, par 3 12th? Colby, you get into that one. That was an oof, eh? Oh, boy. Uh, watched that one live and uh, really felt for him. He, his first one obviously hit the drink, then uh, sort of the second, and then he ended up taking a drop penalty shot that, no, how did it end up? He was in a bunker at one point, and he was stretching real low, getting that back to tweak, and then he hit another shot into the water. It was an absolute disaster. His highest score on a hole in his professional career uh, but what does he do? Come back, birdies five of his last six holes. Uh, that would turned out to be incredible to really save anything on his Sunday. And uh, just the mental toughness to do that, I find, is absolutely insane. That's what has driven Tiger to be the absolute best for so many years. And, uh, yeah, not a lot of people on this planet could do what he did uh, coming back from 12 and birdieing five of those last six. Yeah, it's funny because like if anyone else would have done it, you you probably don't hear about it. But because you know it's Tiger that did it, and you know just the the epic amount of moments that he has created over his career, it was like this one's almost just another one in seemingly a meaningless spot for for Tiger Woods, um, not really into things. And then I I mean when you take the uh, the ten on the par three, uh, it's really not going to put you in contention by any means but uh yeah like you said colby it's just ridiculous to see a guy then come back and and rattle off five birdies in the last six on uh on one of the biggest stages yeah that's why he's one of the best to do it yeah because like that would take you like that'd be a tough because it was on sunday right so yeah. i mean you're seeing you're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and you have <laughs> your worst hole ever but you're still able to have the mental composure <laughs> to to rattle off the next six holes pretty well so that's why that's why he's tiger and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what course he's on the folks at cbs are going to his shot every single time it doesn't matter if he's going to be bernard longer at 63 years old they're still going to go to tiger so everybody is watching for him he's still a ratings draw and they kind of talked about it on the broadcast this weekend, how Bryson and all the hype surrounding DeChambeau heading into this weekend was not quite Tiger-esque, but it was right up there. And they talked about how Tiger actually talked to Bryson uh, prior to his rounds, uh, just about, you know, staying in the moment and doing what he needs to do uh, to, to, you know, to be the best he can be. And it's kind of cool, the, the similarities in that sense. Kind of a, a young hotshot like Bryson, similar to a young Tiger, uh, the way they play, the aggressive style that they play, and the two, the two contrasting styles that way. Yeah, it's, it's very similar in the sense of aggression between the two. I mean, obviously, it's kind of tough to, to try and realistically pair anyone to Tiger in our generation because there's just no one like him. But from a handful of different perspectives, you can, you can see similarities between Bryson and Tiger, but you know the difference is that if Tiger was in Bryson's shoes, Tiger would have flourished and Bryson didn't. And, and that's the biggest difference when, when you kind of look at the, the role reversal. Like there, There's just no one that has that kind of mentality and the killer instincts that Tiger seems to have. And um, that, that's just kind of what makes the, the five birdies in the last six just even cooler because it's a reminder for people that maybe didn't grow up with Tiger in his heyday um, it, it shows you, okay, this guy is like, 
Like he's pretty damn good. There's a lot of people that would crumble after say Phil Mickelson, when he's putting the ball while it's still moving and then just kind of right off the rest of the round. Um, <laughs> like, like Tiger did the last thing he was going to do is right off a tournament, which was, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you mentioned a guy that's trying to take over Tiger, maybe. Um, coming in, tied for second at the uh, the Masters this weekend. Sung J.M., hey, from South Korea. Um, he hit a dash 15. Um, only 22 years old. He was the rookie of the year on the PJ Tour a couple of years ago. What did you guys see in his game that you liked? Oh, he was fantastic. He was calm, cool, collective. He didn't show any emotion on any shot. And that was kind of impressive for a young guy like that. He's been playing for a number of years, like you mentioned, Corey. You know, playing alongside like a guy with Hideki Matsuyama uh, as well from Korea and uh, and getting the experience that way uh, was incredible. He was he was making tremendous drives alongside DJ, uh, sometimes out driving DJ. And you know what? Nobody was beating DJ. And you can mention a guy like Cameron Smith as well. Um, he played fantastic. The first guy in the history of the Masters to shoot all four of his rounds in the 60s. That is insane for a young guy like Cameron Smith. Um, for Smith, he he was fun to watch because his drives would go pretty straight, but his second shots would not find the green. He was scrambling. His short game was amazing, and his putting was pretty damn well as well to stay in the fight alongside him. But uh, golf's in good hands if the young guys like that uh, you mentioned Rory and all that he did uh, coming back from his 75 there on Thursday. Uh, it was it was a fun weekend of golf to watch in November. I know it feels odd to have the Masters in November, but damn, was it cool to watch. Yeah, it gave something to watch for sure. I mean, I, I hope they don't plan on doing November Masters any anymore unless they absolutely have to. Uh, <laughs> just, just because, you know, you run into the darkness issue and, and just the way that tee times have to be staggered and, how early you got to get out. And I'm, I mean, the conditions obviously aren't going to be as favorable in November as they otherwise would be, but all, all things considering like this weekend was, was, it was a massive success unless you're Bryson DeChambeau, really. I mean, <laughs> like unless you're him, everyone's got to be fairly happy with, with the weekend and how it went and, and the fact that the masters was able to happen. Yeah. And almost perfect timing. I mean, baseball wrapped up, hockey wrapped up, basketball wrapped up and, you know, I think it got a lot more views uh, for people kind of debra- deprived of the sports. So, yeah, I think it was, it was, you know, what like we've been talking with all these sports, you know, just making the best of a situation, right? Like it was a good execution from their part. I just want to give one more shout out uh, to Abraham Answer. He was right up there uh, for quite a lot of the weekend and a little Medicine Hat connection there. His caddy was none other than Dale Valelli uh, of Medicine Hat. So that was pretty cool to see him in the final pairing there on Sunday. Played really well all weekend long and uh, unfortunately kind of ran out of gas there on Sunday, but that was really cool to see. Uh, that courtesy of our friend Scott Roblin of Chat Sports. Yeah, did uh, did I hear that Valelli was hacking darts at some point during the final <laughs> round? I, I can't confirm this, but someone had, uh, one of my, like my cousin had texted me, he's like, Dale Valelli hacking darts. And I was like, nice, <laughs> hey man, why not? Like, like Abraham answer actually I know he was getting a lot of money bet on him kind of in the back end of the weekend or I guess the back end of the tournament because at the time when he was tied for first, uh, Answer was getting like 25 to 1 odds as tied for mm. top of the leaderboard. So a lot of people uh, were splashing money on Answer. Um, Abe couldn't get it done, but uh, but still, yeah, it was 
really cool to see the the local connection on uh, on old Abe and Dale. They sound like they could have some kind of TV show, Abe and Dale. <laughs> yeah, if you type into Google Abraham answer, the next three results are Abraham answer wife, caddy, or caddy smoking. Good All right, Dale Valley, hack and darts, <laughs> love it. We'll transition off of that to a busy NBA season that's approaching. Uh, we talked about it on the last pod. That December 22nd start date has been approved uh, by all the teams and the league. And what's about to happen is nothing short of crazy. The NBA draft, which was postponed from the early summer, is now starting on Wednesday, this upcoming Wednesday. Uh, Free agency starts on Friday. And then training camps start on December 1. So that's like less than two weeks away-ish. And uh, all in starting with the December 22nd date. Uh, crazy next couple weeks this is going to be for NBA. Only 71 days between the Game 6 victory by the Lakers, uh, which was only, what, maybe three, four weeks ago, uh, to opening night of the 2020-2021 season. Not a lot of rest. I know LeBron is not happy about that, but uh, the owners and the money talks, and they are happy with this early start date. Yeah, that'll be kind of good for for prospects that are getting drafted. I mean, the turnaround's rather short, obviously now, and uh, for the for those players that are going to get in the draft, you're immediately getting into a camp. I mean, you're basically going to get drafted and start working out with your teams, and then get ready for uh, for camp on December one. So, uh, the turnaround on that end is going to be nice for them. Yes, yeah, not all the players might be uh, fans of it, but it's the reality that they have, and uh, so. Guess they're going to go out and play, and that's going to be that. Yeah, I think it's going to be load management times too, right? Like LeBron could be angry, but it's probably only going to play half the games this season, right? But like you mentioned, the rookies, like they're mm-hmm. gonna, they're probably going to be relied upon more this year because you know of all the guys that just finished their last season, right? You know those guys that have the legs early in their career, they're probably going to be relied upon throughout most of this season, just because you know those old guys, it's a quick turnaround. Exactly. That's a good point. And uh, in terms of the the young guys and the draft that's coming up there on Wednesday, a lot of uncertainty into who will go number one. It's not like there's a this is a year where uh, there's a consensus pick. There's an all star. Uh, a lot of question marks surrounding all these top guys, whether it's Lamelo Ball or James Wiseman or Anthony Edwards. Um, I could definitely see a scenario where not only the first overall pick but the second overall pick might get traded before Wednesday. Uh, teams just trying to to move down and and get a guy that they think you know could go in the top one two three they might get it five or six or even nine or ten it's kind of one of these not super highly talented drafts uh, by some year standards no no it's uh it's a little bit of a different draft in that sense but uh, I mean everywhere that I'm looking the seems like the consensus is going to be Lamelo at number one if uh, I guess who would be the Timberwolves if they want to go that way. Um, but, I mean, like, Wiseman's massive, like, 7'1", and I think he's, like, 240 or something. Like, he's just an absolutely mammoth human being. Um, but, no, like he said, like, they, really you can flip anyone near the top and you might be able to pick them at 1, 3, 7, or 12. Really, like I mean, it, it's almost it feels that wide open, which, which creates a lot of movement for teams because all of a sudden, when you don't have those consensus picks, you're kind of just going, okay, this is my, our guy, we want him, and if you want him bad enough, you're going to trade up, or if you feel comfortable that he's in a slide, you're obviously going to go down. So 
it can create a lot of movement when when the uncertainty is out there like it is with this draft. Yeah, so we got in the notes here, like, what are the Warriors going to do with that number two pick? Like, I guess that's a really good question. You mentioned that guy Wiseman, who's just huge. I feel like he's a guy that can enter the NBA and be an impact player for the Warriors right now, especially with all the guards they have that are coming back and the skill up um, around the around the border there. Um, but, um, sorry, the perimeter, I should say. Um, so, but Or they could trade that for uh, a win-now player that, that's been in the league for a number of years. Like, yeah, like they, they can trade down. Like, yeah, I love these drafts. It, it creates for absolute chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely right. I mean, you basically laid it out there, Corey. It's that the Warriors' number two pick has been the question mark. I think for since the lottery came down, and the the down year that the Warriors had, injuries being the main culprit of that, uh, has really made this entire draft in- interesting because they could use a guy like Wiseman to kind of add some height and depth to their forward group that is definitely lacking compared to their guards. Uh, but is he the type of guy? He's been a star all of his life. And he's coming into an organization where they're only going to ask for him to play defense and rim run. He's not going to get the ball because the guards need the ball. And is he capable of doing that? Like, I, I, you would think he could be. But, like you mentioned, they might need a, a win-now player. They might package that number two pick with a guy like Wiggins, who they just acquired from Minnesota because his contract is massive. Maybe they turn that into a uh, higher-profile big man that could – you know, is more in the prime, like you mentioned, Corey, and, and could play better alongside those guards. Uh, it, it's so up to, to discussion. If, if the Timberwolves go with ball at number one, then Anthony Edwards might fall to Charlotte at three. Uh, a lot of question marks still surrounding Edwards. And then you drop down a tier and you go with the Halliburton kid, who's a guard. Uh, he's, you know, highly ranked. There's a Killian Hayes out of France. There's actually two Killians in this draft, surprisingly enough. Uh, you don't hear the name Killian no. very often. But uh, it, it's going to be a weird draft, and I'm so much looking forward to this. And like you mentioned, free agency there on Friday. It, it's absolute crazy season in the NBA. Yeah, the uh, the draft is definitely by far more more exciting to me than than the free agency period just because – of the complete unknown that is this NBA draft. Like, and like you guys have been saying, the Warriors are just so interesting at number two because, I mean, there's there's an argument that's to be made where anyone that they'd pick with number two is also going to be ready to win now. And so, I, I mean, it, there's so many different options, and I'm sure the front offices of all the teams that are in the top five picks have – plans A, B, C, D, E, and F all ready to go because there's just so many different options <laughs> that I'm sure are out there. I'm sure there's trades that are, you know, being floated, that there's offers that are going back and forth, and and somehow you got to try and wade your way through the chaos and, and decide on what you're going to do. This is – these are like the, the moments where, you know, general managers, if you're running your sports – like operations department, whether it's basketball ops or hockey ops or baseball ops. Like these are the moments now where you make your money because there's no roadmap. There's no right or wrong. There's no game plan. It's wide open. Yeah. It's almost like the, the NHL draft this past year. I mean, outside of Lafreniere, like there's guys like Perfetti that dropped and Marco Rossi, like it's, it's really up to the scouting um, that comes to the GM comes to the table and says, you know, this is, this is our guy. All, like all those pieces are interchangeable and, and it's going to be one of those that you'll look back in five years and, you know, because everybody's so close, 
really going to make or break your franchise. You mentioned the free agency there. One of the guys uh, that will be involved with free agency uh, is former Toronto guard Fred Van Vliet. Uh, he mentioned, I think it was last week on a podcast, I think with J.J. Redick, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, money is going to rule his decision. And uh, outside of winning, of course, winning is important, but money more so for Fred is going to be the, uh, the money maker per se. And uh, I mean, to be fair, he's earned it. He's absolutely earned it. And a team like Detroit or the Knicks is probably going to give him that $25 million a year contract. He's probably looking for. And uh, if you're a Raptors fan, I worry a little bit. That's not the best news you want to hear. Not that he was probably going to take a hometown discount uh, because he has bet on himself his entire career, but uh, not the news that Raptors fans really want to hear at this point. No, and I mean, a lot can change between now and then, and I think a lot of it weighs on how legitimate the rumors are about Giannis going to Toronto because, I mean, Fred's money is either going to hinder or help the Giannis situation depending on how Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster really feel the Raptors odds are at getting Giannis because if they think that they can make a play on him and bring him into the Raptors organization then you are more than willing to sacrifice Fred Van Vliet and his contract to bring in a player that's MVP caliber like Giannis it's just that's kind of the reality of the business. It doesn't make it any easier, but I mean, the Raptors have also had this way lately of finding players and develop, developing them, maybe not necessarily on the development front with Kyle Lowry, but he's an example of a player they found and brought up as a guard. And Fred Van Vliet was a player that they developed and brought through as another guard. So they've, they've shown a bit of a track record of being able to do this. It, uh, it, it's just, it's so hard to say, because if they don't feel like they're in on Giannis, then maybe they do throw money at Fred and make sure that he sticks around. It's just kind of, this is almost the ultimate litmus test to this point on how serious the Giannis rumors are. Right, exactly. And look at Kyle Lowry. I believe his contract is up after this season. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, he's out. Right, so, you know, got to question whether you can get him back or if you even want him back at his current age. You know, you could be looking at Fred Van Vliet as the starting point guard as soon as after next season. So um, it's just kind of, it's rough timing for the Raptors. If this was happening next year, it's almost a really easy choice. Get rid of Lowry and bring in Van Vliet. But, yeah, some tough decisions ahead for for the Raptors, and you got to kind of figure out where your franchise is going. I'm thinking we probably should have started with this next topic in the front of the NBA section because the last, I'd say, four days has been absolutely insane if you're a Houston Rockets fan. Uh, we talked about the dis- the uh, disruption that the franchise had when they uh, let go of Daryl Morey and kind of the ramifications that might happen in Rockets land. And then the report comes out late last week that Russell Westbrook, James Harden, are kind of conflicted about the direction of this team after they hired uh, Steven Silas as their head coach. Many think it might be a cost-saving option, not going after a bigger-name head coach, giving it to a guy with no head coaching experience in Silas. Um, So that turned into Westbrook asking for a trade. That has gone public. And now in the last, what, three hours, gentlemen, uh, I've been seeing James Harden has now been asking for a trade. And the only trade destination he wants to go to is the Brooklyn Nets. 
trying to team up with their boys, uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They've talked about keeping this twosome together heading into this season coming up on December 22nd. I don't know how they can do that. I guess technically they're under contract, so they have to play or they probably forfeit money. But this entire Houston Rockets story is so juicy. Where do they go from here? I don't even know. Yeah, I don't either. It's it's interesting, and I haven't seen anything about, like, specifically this, like you mentioned, direction that the Rockets are going. I'm not 100% sure what Harden and Westbrook are upset about because if the direction is to not give them the ball for 90% of the game – and maybe like I don't know, have some playoff success. Then, then maybe that's a good idea. But like, well, I'm just saying, like they they've yep. proven not not once, but like multiple times now that neither one of them, the way that they've been playing for the majority of their career, is winning basketball. Whether you want to say it's the pieces they have around them, or you want to say it's coaching. Uh, or you want to say that it was just a little too windy outside that affected the air conditioner inside. Like, whatever you want to say, <laughs> like, eventually <laughs> it comes down to you. And if your plan has been to give James Harden the ball, and James Harden clearly likes having the ball, and they haven't found the success that they were looking for, then maybe it's not a bad idea to go in a different direction. So why wouldn't you be giving that a chance? But that's just kind of my two cents on that. Westbrook, I have no idea where he would go. Uh, obviously, there'd be a market for him. With James Harden, it's like, you know, okay, so he goes to Brooklyn and plays with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. It's it's almost like, is that comparable enough to the super team of Miami? I don't know. I'm not sure if it is with, with D. Wade, LeBron, and Chris Bosh. I don't know if it's the same just based off of the styles of those three players in Brooklyn, but... Uh, it would be the next closest thing. Yeah, no, I agree with you. This 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 story just kind of screams crybaby from Harden and Westbrook. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, Harden has been wanting that that secondary guy with them for for a while now in Houston, and they finally go out and get him, and then they get bounced in the second round, like early to the Lakers. Like, it's just it's almost like you know, oh, if you get me my guy, then we're going to be good. And then when things go bad, it's like, okay, who else's fault is it? Right? Like, it just doesn't scream like they you know they're leaders i don't know it just it it's gives me a foul taste in my mouth that they want to get out when now the management and owners in in houston are trying something different to get over that hump to get you know get past Mm -hmm. those lakers get past those warriors you know maybe a, a new head coach with a new look is could change um Rockets basketball and get them over that hump, but if they're not going to give it that chance, I don't. You know, that's just yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, no, they've made. Uh, it makes you really wonder about James Harden as a player because this is would be if this goes the way we're expecting it to, the third superstar experiment. First was Dwight Howard, second was Chris Paul, and now Russell Westbrook, where all three of those guys want to move on from the team. And ultimately, Harden might move on from the team as well. And it just really makes you wonder about the the type of, not the type of player, because we all know how great Harden is, but just like a teammate and a leader um, of Harden. Like, it's just, it's mind-blowing that all of this has come out in the last four days, I'd say. And uh, definitely something to keep your eye on as we head closer to this December 22nd date. Uh, a couple trades to make note of. Uh, the big one today, actually, Chris Paul 
heading from OKC to the Phoenix Suns in a uh, pretty big package going back to OKC, including Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, a uh, later first-round pick as well. So OKC acquires more talent, uh, young draft picks. Uh, but I think they got about 16 in the next three or four years. First-round picks, I should Jesus. say. So they are absolutely stocked, including a couple um, sw- a pick swaps with Houston. So if the Houston situation goes awry then they could potentially pick swap with them and get some fantastic uh, first-rounders from Houston. And in the Suns situation, they get Chris Paul, pair him with Devin Booker. I personally like that uh, pairing, provide another ball handler and uh, playmaker alongside Booker. You got DeAndre Ayton in the front court. The Suns just got a whole lot more interesting. They're going to be right around that playoff eight, nine seed, probably going to be playing in the play-in tournament if that is still a thing coming up in this next season. Uh, but an interesting trade on both sides of the ball. Yeah, it'll work really well in Phoenix if Aiton can stay healthy. Um, if Aiton's able to stay healthy, they're mm-hmm. easily um, going to be a playoff team. It's just a matter of where they seed in. But I, I think Chris Paul kind of pushes them over the top because Chris. I mean, Chris Paul's a guy that can take a little bit off of Booker, who's been for the most part carrying the load since he arrives in Phoenix. Um, so. The trade there makes sense, and I mean OKC is just—they're uh, building. This is this is, like if you're going to tear it down, then you tear it down. You find any assets that you have, and you make them into something to build off of, right? And I mean, we looked at when they brought in Chris Paul. You're like, eh, I don't know, like this doesn't make a lot of sense. Now it does. Now, now suddenly it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's, and I think, I don't know about you guys, but just watching the Suns over the past few years, you've just felt so bad for Devin Booker just because he's, he's, he's such a good player and he's been building that team. Um, and he just hasn't had the, the winning success that you'd like to see. But to actually have some players around him, to have a veteran and Chris Paul right there beside him, it, it gets you a little bit excited for that exciting Suns basketball just because, you know, there, there might be some more wins. You, and Devin Booker might be getting some some playoff wins now. So I don't know. I'm really excited about that. That'd be huge for uh, for Booker to make the playoffs because he hasn't done that in his six-plus years in the league. Uh, also speaking on the OKC trade front, they actually traded away Dennis Schroeder as well to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers were in need of some point guard help. There was rumors they might be in on Chris Paul, uh, but they take a little bit of a downgrade going with Schroeder. Uh, probably a cheaper deal as well for their books. Uh, trading away Danny Green and the 28th pick, another first-round pick uh, coming up in this Wednesday's draft. Uh, like I mentioned, Lakers needed a point guard. They get Schroeder. He played very well. Probably uh, going to be up for six-man of the year this year, playing for OKC in that three-headed backcourt, which was Chris Paul, uh, Schroeder, and Shea Gill, just Alexander. Uh, and for the OKC, again, just another addition to the puzzle. And you got to hope, I was talking about this with some guys in the office as well today, you kind of hope that OKC hits on their first couple of first-round picks in the next year or so, because then that way they can turn these first-round picks in the later years when they're good alongside a guy like Shea Gilgis and, and use that to potentially trade for some more experienced talent um, like a team like the Boston Celtics have done in the years past, or like Toronto's done, and and like these good teams use their assets to acquire players in the win now mode. You kind of hope that yeah. if you're an OKC yeah, fan. Yeah, I mean, you only got to look at Toronto to kind of see what they've done lately in order to model exactly that and build the team around them. It takes a lot of depth 
and not just on your top picks, but bringing in guys in your G League system and, and developing them and, and and trying to progress them along so that when they fill in and when they come into the lineup, they can be productive for 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever they're called upon uh, a, a night. So the, the draft pick capital is obviously a big step in that, but I, I mean, by all accounts, it would be hard to see OKC not – uh, hit on a couple. It's just going to be a matter of if they can develop enough players in this like surrounding cast to make it work. Yeah, the surrounding cast is huge. I don't know. Maybe you guys can help me with this one. I'm just trying to think. Like the Minnesota Timberwolves, they had obviously win towns. Like they were one of those teams that, like, all right, they're young. They're going to be so good in in a um, in a few years, way back when. And then they just it just didn't seem like they had the depth to get them over the hump and and to be a consistent playoff team. And then obviously things kind of went south, and Wiggins got shipped off, and now they're kind of in purgatory, right? Like I think you got an example in the Raptors of what you want to do, and that you know maybe with the Timberwolves, you know having the top picks and only a couple top picks isn't always the best move, you know, to have a bunch of first rounders and guys to draw from um, is really exciting. You can add yeah. uh, Zach Levine to that list of Timberwolves as well. He was the, uh, the third man technically uh, in that totem pole. He got shipped off to Chicago and uh, he's made his own little career out there in Chi-Town. Uh, not a, a great player, but a very, very good player is Levine. Like you said, it's just the way it kind of starts from the top down. And I mean, to OKC's, credit their management and their leadership has been top-notch uh ever since the durant westbrook days uh just a few years ago like they've had the same uh crew that has been in okc since their inception to be frank and uh that helps and i mean you fire billy donovan as coach he was in my opinion a, a really good coach and now he gets to go coach levine uh over in chicago but uh it's gonna be very interesting to see what this okc thunder team uh, will do this season because, by all accounts, this year was an overachievement. Um, having Chris Paul didn't really know what you had in, in other guys like Shea and even a, a Canadian, Lou Dort, kind of came out of nowhere to play some defense. And by all accounts, it was an overachieving year for the Thunder. Now you think they're going to go down the standings and increase their draft lottery chances, but yeah, you just never know. I mean, that, that kind of seems to be the theme with the NBA right now, doesn't it? <laughs> like... It's just a, a lot of, I, I don't know. I mean, you, your guess is as good as mine at this point on a lot of this. And so much uh, of, of what we're, we've talked about so far has been speculation outside of, you know, what exactly trades uh, ha- have happened. I mean, outside of that, has been a lot of speculation and a lot of guessing, and this is just kind of another example of it. It makes it fun, though. I don't know. It, mm-hmm. it makes me more interested in basketball, definitely, and Obviously, we talked about when they, we first uh, got on this subject that they're coming back in December, and it's it's going to make things uh, really exciting. Well, boy, was there some drama in the NFL uh, yesterday. Big Sunday. Um, I think they talked about it on Red Zone. The first time in a long time, I think you and Lance and I can admit, that there was uh, more late games in that afternoon window than the early games. That was nice to see. Uh, made football watching a hell of a lot of fun. And uh, arguably the game of the week, Yesterday was the Arizona-Buffalo game. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins beats the triple coverage of the Bills defenders to haul in a Hail Mary as time expired. Uh, Arizona wins the game. Crazy comeback uh, after Buffalo and Stephon Diggs made a a late touchdown of their own. Uh, That was so fun to see. Watching Kyler Murray run 
Uh, statistically, he's actually performing better than Lamar did last year in his MVP year. Uh, he's put on quite a show. They are a fun team to yeah, watch, like I mean, we expect. Honestly, I think that all is stemming from Cliff Kingsbury, the, the head coach there, and just the system that he's created for Kyler Murray. Um, I, I'm still blown away that, that the Cardinals were able to get DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson, considering the mold in which the offense is being based around. Um, it, it was just kind of wild to me that that trade happened. And I mean, obviously DeAndre Hopkins is a top five wide receiver. Um, you could argue he's a top three. You could argue he's the best, whatever you want to say. Um, but, but Kyler Murray is doing things like better than, than we had thought we had never seen before. Like, like you mentioned with Lamar, like, like, Kyler just runs a different way. Like, like all of a sudden he runs and he looks like a punt returner. And <laughs> the, the thing is, like, he doesn't always run. Like, he can throw a 50-yard pass, and then he can also run a read option for 35 yards. Like, the, the dual threat that Kyler Murray possesses is something that makes me think he's going to be, and as long as he's with the Cardinals and they kind of have this offense – they're going to be one of the best offenses in the league for a while. Oh, hot take from Lance Dahl over here. All right, all right. Um, sorry, I, I just want to go back to that play. Like, I'm sorry. If like, how does that happen? Like, I don't know. It just, <laughs> I'm not. A, I know. Oh, but no. Like, I'm a. De- I'm not a defensive back. But like, <laughs> you gotta. Like, it's like they're the three of them tried to catch it. I don't know. Like, why isn't there one guy just trying to swat it and get it out of there? Like, I don't know. But, like, what a play, but also, what? (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, your guess is as good as mine. You would absolutely think one of them is trying to slap the hands away of Hopkins and uh, and fight him off. But there was just four dudes jumping for the ball, and – and it ended up in Hopkins' hands, and that was incredible. The picture on that is, is insane, like you mentioned. And that was a hell of a game. Great comeback. Uh, I mean, we go legit a full podcast on the NFL action. I'll kind of touch on some of the main ones that at least that I found. Uh, really interesting, not really interesting game. I don't know, whichever way you want to take it. The uh, Giants and Eagles. Uh, Giants win 27-17. And uh, if you've seen on Twitter, I think on Friday – um, media was talking to Giants GM Dave Gettleman. And Gettleman announced to the media that friends of his were telling him that the Giants were the best two win team in football at two and six or two and seven at the moment, I think it was. Maybe less. But uh, crazy stuff. They, they end up winning the game, like I mentioned. And they're still not in first place in their division. The Eagles, who lost, are still there at 3-5-1. And, one. and uh, I found this stat incredibly telling. Daniel Jones, quarterback for the Giants, he's played in 22 career games. And yesterday's win was just his second win against a team other than the Washington Oof. football team. Oof. So if he's not beaten up on Washington, he's getting one, one, maybe two wins against the Eagles. That is insane stuff. Man, I, I cannot I believe, believe that. this division. Like it is just—it's inexplicable how bad it is. <laughs> like, I mean, Washington's defense is great. Like, considering where they're at in their in their season, their defense is actually playing. I would almost go out and say outstanding. They're like the best against the pass this year. Not so great against the run, but 
Like, their offense is just a disaster. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys have accountants playing quarterback, I'm pretty sure, with Ben <laughs> DiNucci or whatever his name is. Like, I don't know what's going on there. The Eagles, the Eagles are the only ones that really give you hope because Carson Wentz just seems like he's going to will this team into a first-round exit in the playoffs. That's, that's He just wants it so bad right now. <laughs> like, and, and the Giants, like – the. the I mean, it, it's hard to say they're not looking better because, like, like I wanted to say the Giants are looking better with each passing week, but it's like it's hard to look worse. So I don't really know how you uh, how you phrase it because they can't really look worse than they were. I mean, they they're just they, they've won no. two in a row, and that's like the best streak by far in the NFC East. Like the Cowboys have lost four in a row. Washington's lost two in a row. The Eagles, well, they lost. Like, it's just, I don't understand this division. I just don't. Man, I love me some drama. Holy. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hot take yes, alert here. I'm saying whoever wins this division's winning the whole NFC. They're going to the Super Bowl. That's my hot take. Calling it That's right now. That's just incorrect. Like, gonna, like, it's not even a hot take. Yeah, That's just yeah. wrong. <laughs> Like, I can't like, remember. That's not even a hot take. Oh, <laughs> I can't remember the last time a division's been like this bad. Like I don't know. Like it's it's so bad. Like to put it oh to put God. it into perspective, like the Eagles are leading the division, and their record in the league is twentieth best. Like all the teams are in the bottom, like third of yep. the league standings. Like that 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 can't happen. Mm. How are you all so shitty? It's incredible. It is honestly incredible. And I, I just, that stat blew me away. So I had to bring it up here. Yeah, it is a division that nobody wants to win, but somebody is going to fall ass backwards into a six and 10 and, and get absolutely roasted. Or as Corey says, they're going to take the whole NFC. We'll have to wait and see on that. Other news and notes around the NFL. The Dolphins are 3-0 and under Tua Tango Viola. He has their starter. They've won their fifth straight. And I got to say the AFC East, Looks very weird to look at the top of the standings and see the Bills and the Dolphins on top. I don't know a time in my life um, where that well, has been the case. It's probably close to never. Um, <laughs> the the Dolphins' defense is, as long as the Dolphins' D plays the way they do and turns the ball over and gets, you know, short yardage fields for Tua and, and the Miami offense, like the Dolphins – could make a run at the division, which again is fucking wild to say that the Dolphins might have a shot at the division. But they're like, I, I'm wondering when the burnout's going to hit for the Dolphins D, but it just doesn't seem like it's coming. Exactly. It, they've been outstanding. Uh, even going back to the first game of Tua's career there against the Rams, like they completely held their own, giving their quarterback a chance to win that game. Uh, which they eventually did, and they came up really huge in that one, and they've been stellar, absolutely. And uh, the Bills, I mean, after even though they heartbreakingly lost there against the Cardinals, I mean, they are still a great team. They took out Seattle last week, and uh, they, they're a force. And Josh Allen is still playing really well, got some great options on the outside at receiver. The running back is still a little iffy. I mean, Singletary hasn't lived up to um, massive expectations, but then you got – the rookie Zach Moss in there, uh, stealing reps, and but the offense is humming. The defense has always been good, at least in the last couple of years under Sean McDermott. And uh, yeah, that whole division is super interesting. Uh, looking forward to some playoff football uh, potentially in Buffalo as January nears. I know the weather is going to be uh, a little point of contention 
as we get to the Christmas and uh, and yeah, January is and for sure. Mean, you can just like look around the league though right now, and there's just there's a lot of interest in, in a bunch of different spots. Like the Saints and Bucks tied at the top of the NFC South. Uh, you have what the Steelers are doing in the AFC North. The Colts now tied with the uh, the Titans in the AFC South, which is probably something none of us ever expected. But the Colts defense. Um, almost, I would say, up there with the Steelers' defense, uh, just purely based off of how they've been playing each and every week. I mean, they're holding teams like the Titans to 17, and their schedule after, like, once again to December should be a little bit easier. I mean, they got the, the Packers coming up this Sunday, and then they get the Titans again, but then they play, like, the Texans, the Raiders, and then the Texans. Uh, and then a date with the Steelers, and then you wrap up with the Jags. Mm. I mean, the, the Colts have a serious divi- uh, chance to win the AFC South division now. You mentioned the Saints as well. Uh, kind of big news in their front. Drew Brees uh, got banged up there yesterday, took some massive hits, and uh, found out he's been dealing with a, a lot more injuries than you and I even knew about. And uh, he's got some multiple rib fractures, a collapsed lung. Uh, dude has been a warrior. And uh, yesterday, really took a beating. He's probably out for Sunday. They haven't put him on IR yet. Um, probably not going to as well because that automatically means he has to miss three games, which I don't think they want to do that at this stage. But they're probably going to let him rest and get healthy for a long playoff run. At least I hope so. So that means the w. your boy, Jameis Winston, <laughs> eating some Ws and uh, start. And starting next week for the Saints, that uh, could be a good streaming option uh, if you're playing some fantasy football as well. Um, I, I, maybe a slight downgrade to the skill position players on the Saints, uh, but not too much of a uh, not too much of a play because, as you and I know, uh, yeah, Jameis loves to throw the ball around. Great opportunity too because he plays the Falcons twice and the Broncos once. That's who they play in the next three weeks. It goes Falcons, Broncos, Falcons. Oof. Um, Atlanta can mm-hmm. play defense, and the Broncos—you just never really know what you're going to get. So, so I mean, like it, it, they could theoretically <laughs> run Jameis out for for three weeks here, and seemingly could be at ten and two uh, on their record. Could you imagine collapsing your lung and being like, yep. eh, "I might be ready for Sunday. We'll see." Like, oh my god! So isn't that the truth? So is it injuries that happened this past weekend, or is it he's just been playing with a collapsed lung? He's like, ah, I should probably get that checked out. <laughs> I interpret it as like he's also been dealing with a shoulder issue as well. I guess the reports have come out, and uh, he had, I guess, minor rib fractures, but the the big hit or hits in plural that he took yesterday uh, only aggravated those ribs. And then I think eventually led to the collapsed lung because I think by all reports, he was walking around in a, in a flak jacket at the end of the game uh, yeah, as well, trying to protect jacket. those ribs. Yikes. I don't know, but if is that, what it's, is that how it's pronounced? Like it hurts. Flak jacket. He's a warrior though. Putting the old Holy Googles God. in. Let's see. It was like Patrice Bergeron in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Collapsed his yeah, lung. Literally. Oh God. It's it's designed to provide protection from case fragments from high explosive weaponry such as oh, anti aircraft artillery. <laughs> damn. Yeah, damn. Collapsed lung. Gotta I mean, sure he's gonna get shot at or something. Make it worse. Just <laughs> fuck. Gotta protect everything. I'm telling you, I, it's a real deal. I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna probably pretty thick, in and it probably keeps your breeze. And let's body, see what happens. Like, still. Yes, there it is. Breeze, who was spotted on the sidelines in the second oh half with, with a black jacket on. Damn. So, 
America. He's real deal. <laughs> too many concussions. He's like, they, they've hit me too much. They're probably Very scary. Um, no, no, Drew. No, Drew. It's, it's football. They're supposed to do that. The last news and note that I want to bring up, we can uh, get your guys' side of things as well, but the Steelers, you mentioned them uh, earlier on. They stay unbeaten. They roll past the Begnals, and uh, the last couple of weeks have been pretty close. I mean, the game against the Cowboys was tough. Uh, they had a deal with the Ravens earlier on this season. That was a close one, as always. And uh, so they moved to 9-0. Next week, facing the Jaguars, you would imagine, moving to 10-0. And then they faced the Ravens on Thanksgiving Thursday down in the States. That should be a hell of a battle. And uh, that, I don't know the Ravens' schedule off by heart. I know they... I think they just came. Oh no, they lost to mm-hmm. the Patriots. Did they not on Sunday night? I think they did. That sounds right. So they lose a game in the standings. Uh, so I was going to say it might lead to uh, the crowning of a division title there in the AFC North, but not quite. Either way, going to be a great battle in a couple weeks with the Ravens and the Steelers. Roll on. They're pretty much going to have this division. I mean, they got the Jags, the Ravens, Washington. A tough one against the Bills in Week 14. A tough one against the Colts in Week 16. Uh, the Browns, to wrap up the regular season, isn't easy. The Bengals are mixed in there again. Uh, but a lot of winnable games for the Steelers. The Ravens, meanwhile, if, once they get past the next couple weeks, I mean, they got the Titans and the Steelers uh, in the next couple weeks. And then their final five are the Cowboys, the Browns, the Jags, Giants, and Bengals, which are all very winnable. Um, maybe the Browns might cause some some problems, or the Browns will be completely useless. You never know where Baker's going to be on his clock. Like, because I mean, ba- Baker runs on a clock. He's great for a couple <laughs> games, right. and he's absolute garbage. Then he gets mad and figures it out, and then he's good for a couple games. So, depending on where Baker is on his clock, will probably determine how that game's going to go. But, uh, yeah, the ball's right in the Steelers' court at this point. I mean, it's. They have the entire division out in front of them, and they have, uh, you know, first in the conference out in front of them as well. Interesting to see the Browns that they have a all right record for once. Like not just a winning record, but they look all right. Like have they just been playing bad teams, or like what's going on with them? Uh, a combination of that, I'd say. And I mean, they had some good games earlier in the season, and I think they talked about on the broadcast yesterday that at this point in the season over the halfway point that the fact that they have a winning record Jesus. has only been done like three times in the last 20 years. So it goes to show just kind of the futility that's been uh, Brown's nation, the dog pound. So it's been uh, quite a, a lean couple of years, but uh, even though they lose uh, OBJ, they get Nick Chubb back there on Sunday. And even in a crazy rainy, windy game, uh, they pull out a W against the Texans, and uh, and Chubb ran wild. Ooh. Except he didn't ran for that last touchdown there uh, late in the fourth. He pulled the smart move for the team, not quite the fantasy uh, way that people wanted it to go. Um, they've played the Ravens once and the Steelers once. They're combined 0-2. They have given up, in those two games, 76 points, and they've scored 13. Um, mm. And they have to track down. They're tied with the Ravens and trailing the Steelers. So I'm not sold on the Browns yet because when you give up 76 points to two teams in two games, I don't know if I can believe in you <laughs> just yet. Um, they've also, like, I, I mean, they have <laughs> really haven't had any noteworthy wins yet this year. I mean, yes, it is good that they're 6-3 and three because a lot of these 
you know, games against middling teams like Washington or the Bengals, they would find a way to lose one. But um, we'll see. They get uh, the Ravens in week 14, and then they're going to wrap up their season against the Steelers. So uh, that might have some weight when it comes to playoffs at week 17. It very well could. Uh, that's it on the NFL front and, and quite frankly on the podcast. Anything else, gents, that you want to touch on before we head out? Yeah, I was going to do some Cincinnati Reds trivia, but I don't actually have the oh. so Teaser for the next one. Teaser. Get the fans <laughs> ready for the next one. Oh, there you go. Okay. I want a Joey Votto uh, question for sure. Can I get a... Can I get a and can I get a Homer um, Bailey? Any other too? memorable Cincinnati Reds? I mean, Pete a Rose, home, a Homer Bailey question. Homer oh Bailey. my! Can I get a Zach Cozart, please? Oh, That's a great poll. Oh, I can I can give you a Zach Cozart question for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. former Angel as well, Zach Cozart. Mm, not a fan. <laughs> Thanks so much for finding us and downloading the podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. We're on Twitter as well at on the board pod. Uh, looking forward to another week of NFL action. Uh, we'll figure it out by next week. If there's any news and notes from the Houston Rockets front, we'll find out who goes first overall in the NBA draft and touch on that. Of course, free agency as well. It's a good time to be a sports fan, and we appreciate you downloading and listening this week. For Lance Dahl, Corey Bacoskis, Colbin McKee, signing off. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to On the Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. Yes!